listening to ILG for PA Employers Like Me, a podcast for individual employers covering topics related to direct payments across the UK. So thank you for joining us today on our podcast on disability-related expenses. My name is Jade Hamnett and I'm the chair of ILG Community. And introducing Brett, would you like to tell us about yourself? I'm Brett Bignall. I'm the uh, Welsh representative for the Independent Living Group. I'm a direct payments user for the last 22 years, and I've been a direct payments advisor for that period of time. And I specialise in community care law issues and also employment law. Okay, so let's start. Why are you interested in DRE, Jade? So disability-related expenses is something that I have been passionate about for quite some years. It's all started by attending meetings at my local county council and just realising how unfair the policies are, really. I, I've had two very different experiences with, with DRE, with my council. The first was 10 years ago that um, I had a very open and transparent experience. They then changed their policy on how they ran the disability-related expenses and my later interactions with them have been the complete opposite. I haven't been able to get much information out of them and it's been very unhelpful. And I realised that a lot of people are struggling with this situation and are either unable to pay for care or are struggling to afford the care that they have been given. First of all, I thought it'd be helpful to go over some terminology that we're going to be using. Um, First of all, an obvious one, what are disability-related expenses? Okay, so disability-related expenses are actually a subjective term because anybody who has a disability and incurs costs as a result of being that disabled person, whilst they are in receipt of community care services from social services, can list these expenses to be taken into account so that their charge towards their community care service is reduced or put down to nil. So those receiving personal health budgets or continuing health care, do they need to worry about disability-related expenses at all? No, they don't, because anybody who receives NHS care directly funded through the NHS or the personal health budget or any, any such organisation As we all know, the NHS is free at the point of delivery of care, so therefore nobody pays a charge in that respect. And so why are disability-related expenses so important? Okay, there's lots of elements here. We all know that disabled people experience a lot of difficulty in having community care services. Maybe they're not able to work because of their, their impairment or... Um, they can do reduced hours, etc. Um, so when the local authority comes along and says, actually, you have to pay towards the cost of your care, that increases the level of poverty that um, disabled people are experiencing because their income is further minimised. At one level, you have the minimum income guarantee, or MIG as it's known, that's another acronym that's used. So at one level, you have the minimum income guarantee that somebody is expected to live on if they are not earning. And then by the same token, 
the local authority come along and say, actually, this is what we expect you to pay towards the cost of your care. So uh, as a basic principle, all um, community care charging is very, very unfair and it pushes people into poverty. Even people who don't pay a charge, they are pushed further in into poverty because actually we might find that that disabled person doesn't feel able to move jobs because of various assessments or changes in circumstances that they might be fearful of. So you mentioned the minimum income guarantee. So where does that come into all this? Effectively, when assessing someone's charge as as the local authority see it and someone's ability to pay, then the minimum income guarantee is the minimum level that the government must allow you to have remaining when they carry out a financial assessment. Let's first of all go back and look at a local authority's ability from a legislation point of view to charge for a community care service. There's a very short but very powerful piece of legislation brought in by the Conservative government of the 1980s. It's the Health and Social Services and Social Security Adjudication Act 1983. That piece of legislation allows local authorities to charge for community care services. Let's be clear about some things. They don't have to charge. They're not legally obliged to. But obviously, uh, local authorities do often charge disabled people because they feel it's a source of revenue. And if you challenge the central government of the time, which I've done uh, previously, they just reply and say, well, local authorities don't have to charge. And then when you you write to the local authority, the local authorities say, well, central government allows us to charge, so we will. So it is a complete choice by them. And there are some councils that have chosen not to charge as well, aren't there? Indeed, there are. And just to clarify, the piece of legislation I quoted um, a few moments ago, um, that relates to people in England. The, uh, the people in Wales have the Social Services Wellbeing Wales Act. And as part of that legislation, again, Welsh Government, which has been under Labour control for over 20 years, still charge. Okay. And so how do these expenses work? Are there, is this money that the, that the council are refunding you? No, it, it's merely a reduction, as as far as the council are concerned, to any charge that you're likely to be expected to pay. You need to show evidence, rightly or wrongly, you need to show evidence of that expenses and how it relates to you as a disabled person. So two identical people, let's say identical twins, may have very, very different assessments of, of their care needs. They, they might be in the same local authority, but their charge may well be very different because their circumstances are different. So if you've been given, um, if you've been sent a letter by your council saying that you have to contribute towards your care, disability-related expenses are the only way to reduce that. Is that correct? Yes, that's broadly correct. Uh, there are a couple of exceptions. For example, people who experience some mental health rights within uh, Section 117 of legislation, which means that certain mental health users don't get charged. But broadly speaking, the only way of reducing your charge 
is to show evidence of disability-related expenditure. And it's really important to note that disability-related expenditure is a subjective thing because actually there are no hard and fast rules. Okay, let, let's examine the uh, legislative principles. We've talked about the act that allows that charge to happen and then below that, there's the regulations that, again, form part of law, but allow central government to tell local authorities how they should implement their policies. And then below that, there's guidance as to how those policies should be implemented. And then it's then down to the local authority individual policy to say how they should interpret that policy. Remember that policy can be challenged. Just because it's written down by a local authority doesn't mean it's necessarily legal or fair. Everybody has the right to challenge their financial assessment. They've got to have strong, strong grounds for doing so, but there's some basic principles behind the legislation. The legislation must not be a disincentive to work. Now, that's quite a powerful one. There's a lot of people who believe that those who work and therefore often don't pay a charge because earnings don't get taken into account, they say, that's unfair. Well, actually, as somebody who earns money and pays taxes, no, it's not unfair. What's unfair is charging disabled people in the first place for what is, after all, a basic community care service to enable them to live as full a life as possible within the bounds of their impairment. So that can often be, be an issue. But those who are charged towards their community care service, they need to work on how to get their charge down as low as possible. That's so, a really great overview of everything. I think a lot of people, when they picture or think of care charges, think of older people. And I'm not saying that doesn't matter, but when you're a younger disabled person, this is something you're potentially going to have to pay for life, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's fair to say that all political parties of various colours and administration have grappled with this issue and then kicked it down the road because when the legislation came in in the 80s, um, then there were, there were challenges at that point and all sorts of administration have said, we need to review how community care services are operated and how disabled people are charged, but actually it never happens. The latest suggestion was that there was going to be an increase in the uh, national insurance contributions made by everybody in order to pay for the community care services. That was then revoked and, and, and removed, so that's not now not happening. So... Basically, for the entire time that I've been working in community care, councils and central government have been grappling with this issue, but nobody's actually got a hold of it in order to reduce or remove the charging of disabled people for what is, after all, basic community care services. Even if that legislation had remained in place, my understanding was social care wasn't going to see any of that money for four years. So had it, you know, even the one thing they tried to do, it still ranked social care below the NHS. And I do understand, you know, there's there's a lot of issues going on with the NHS. 
and, and this is getting into a wider discussion, but to me, you can't fix those issues with the NHS without doing it in tandem with social care. And that's the one that always seems to get pushed away. Do you agree? Indeed, we have a situation where social care is always the poor relation to the NHS because there's a great deal of passion and and rhetoric behind the, the NHS, whereas social care, it's not something that, that everybody thinks about every day because it doesn't affect every person. The NHS affects everybody because we all have uh, prescriptions or we go to the doctors because we've got a particular issue that we need to, to address, but not everybody needs social care. And that's bizarre because actually the vast majority of us will need social care support at some point in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the reasons we are doing this podcast right now, it's quite timely. Last year, the government announced that the benefits were being increased by 10% and that took place in April. At the same time, many councils sent out letters to, to those receiving care, increasing their care contributions, some by more than 10%, but others by at least 10%, whereas other councils had meetings to decide whether that was appropriate to take that money. And so a lot of people are really struggling at the moment, and it feels like those on benefits are being hit twice. They're already having to pay for care, which obviously no one chooses to do or wants to do, and then the help that was given towards the cost of living crisis has in effect been taken away to pay for that care. And so that's why we are doing this podcast and why we've done events on this topic to try and look at, you know, how we can help those people. And I am actually, in fact, one of those people that got the letter in April. And like many other people, I have stuffed that letter in my drawer to deal with later because mentally it's just one more thing I can't deal with right now. But we are just going to take a look at it now in the hope that it will help other people that have also had that letter in April. And hopefully it will inspire them to also pull that letter out from their drawer and deal with it as well. Is that the idea? Yeah. (laughs) First of all, a massive thank you for putting your your head on the block and and, uh, actually discussing your own personal DRE. I I, I realise DRE is a subjective thing for everybody, but I... I think it's really brave to to actually um, mention your own circumstances as as part of the podcast to inform other people. So thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you. Um, I just had one question that the um, my my local council told to me, and I wondered if this was true of other councils. They said that anything health related would not be counted as a DRE. And this was a policy change that they made about four or five years ago. Previously, it wasn't the case. Is there something other councils are choosing to do? I think it's fair to say that uh, local authorities will always look at their budgets and what they can do to, uh, I'll say, raise their revenue and tighten their criteria. And actually, remember, if any local authority, whether it's your local authority or anywhere else in England or Wales or whatever, any policy change can be challenged. So... Just because you have a community care charge and you've had a breakdown of the assessment, you're entitled to a detailed breakdown to see how they've reached that charge that you have to pay. Any policy by that local authority can be challenged. So if they're saying we will not take into account medical needs, to be quite honest with you, that's nonsense on the basis that 
the NHS would provide me with a very, very basic wheelchair and it wouldn't necessarily meet my needs as a wheelchair user. I've funded wheelchair costs myself and therefore that is disability-related expenditure. Yeah, I completely agree. I also had some medications that I had to um, cover. They weren't available on the NHS and they just argued the NHS should be paying for them. They didn't seem to like the answer, but they're not. That, to me, should have been the end of the argument, but they just wouldn't allow it. Well, a a classic case is um, so-called complementary therapy. For some people, acupuncture is an essential part of of their well-being, and it certainly isn't funded by the NHS. I'd be wanting to uh, look to challenge any local authority who doesn't permit acupuncture as disability-related expenditure. I, I was a sceptic, I have to say, about using acupuncture, um, and I had pain in my knee, which meant I couldn't stand and making transfers very, very difficult. I used acupuncture, and it really worked. So, you know, it's disability-related expenditure because, as a disabled person, I really needed that to keep me mobile. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one because um, the condition I have means my joints dislocate, and today actually I've just been to the osteopath because there are certain joints I just can't put back in place and you might wonder why I don't go to A&E and that's because well you're sitting there for 12 hours I need usually to be disbelieved that something has happened whereas I go to an osteopath that is trained in my condition that I trust and I you know don't have to wait those 12 hours in agony first so is that something you think I could put down as as DRE? Absolutely I would say anything can be listed as disability-related expenditure if you as a disabled person believe you can justify that you need that cost to be met because of your impairment. Brilliant. One other question I had was around things like cleaning and gardening when you live with someone else, or even if you don't, actually. Let's take it into two stages. So first of all, um, when I very first asked for cleaning to be in my budget, this isn't a DRE, just within the budget, I was told that wasn't possible. Then I tried to claim it as DRE and I was told that the person I live with should be doing that. When I argued further, they then said that they could only use it as DRE if someone had breathing issues. And I said, well, I do, I have asthma. Although to be honest, the reason I struggle with cleaning, asthma is last on the list, but I still have it. They said, oh, no, 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 it has to be really severe asthma, which to me just seemed to be like, again, pulling excuses from the other. So um, what's your thoughts on cleaning? Right. So cleaning is a very hot potato um, politically in terms of the Care Act and and local authorities. Let's talk about care provision first before we talk about the DRE side of it. In terms of the legislation, the legislation clearly sets out that no individual need should be disregarded by a local authority. So in other words, the Ombudsman, both in England and in Wales, the English decisions are published for everybody to see. The Welsh decisions, sadly or not, but the Ombudsman has already ruled on this cleaning issue and they cannot refuse cleaning, providing you can justify that you need it as a disabled person as part of your care needs. So that's one side of it. So it should be part of your social care assessment. 
So both in England and and in Wales, it's been proven that if you are a disabled person and you can't undertake those tasks yourself, it should be classed as part of your social care assessment. So that's the first thing. Sorry, just before you carry on, in terms of living with someone, um, the person I live with has their own health issues, not enough to qualify for a budget or anything. And that's the reason why they would struggle to take on the cleaning entirely themselves. So do you think that would be a good argument as to why? Um, Yes, I do. I mean, ultimately, I'm sure as a disabled person, because you might drop things and because you might be tired, because your, your energy levels are low and all the rest of it, you might make a lot more mess than the person you live with, or you might not. But... Ultimately, we all know that there are substantial links between keeping a clean environment and keeping your physical health and mental health in good order. So, yes, of course it can be justified and it, it would be up to a local authority to, to try and challenge that. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure if you tell them, look, this has already been decided by the ombudsman, and if you don't allow it, I will take it through the complaints process to the ombudsman again, then most local authorities would be uh, quite worried about that. Okay, great. So now let's look at cleaning from a DRE point of view. Let's assume that somebody has decided I'm not going to challenge the local authority on the cleaning issue as part of my social care assessment, but as a disabled person, I do pay a cleaning agency X amount of money per week to keep my house clean. As I've said, you know, there's lots of things. I was looking on the internet prior to doing the podcast. There's lots of things linking someone's mental well-being and their, their state of mind with having a clean environment. And also, any local authority who says, well, we'll only allow cleaning if you have asthma, well, arguably, if you let somebody's house get dirty even if they haven't got asthma they may well develop it so there's a large part of both the care act and the social um, services well-being wales act that talks about prevention rather than cure so it's an important element cleaning as i said is a hot potato local authorities don't like funding it and they don't like allowing it as dre often but i i believe it certainly can be challenged my argument would be I'd like to put down half the costs towards the cleaner. I'm not yep. trying to claim all of it, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm trying to claim if I, you know, if I was able-bodied, I would be doing half the cleaning, hopefully. <laughs> um, so, you know, I feel it's I should be able to at least contribute half the cost towards yep. the cleaner. Also, it feels a bit like the council are ranking disabilities because, as I said, I have asthma, and obviously asthma can be very severe. I'm not I'm not claiming otherwise, but for me personally. The fact I use a wheelchair, the fact I have, um, you know, crippling fatigue and pain, other reasons why I struggle with cleaning. Asthma is last in the list, and it seems odd to me to pick out one specific condition. Yes, certainly under the Equality Act 2010, then the local authority should be trying to, I'll say, second guess what their impairment groups might be and the, and the kind of clients and service users that they serve. So there shouldn't be a pecking order because realistically. You might, let's take two non-disabled people who are maybe maybe married. One person might be a clean freak and the other person might be really messy. And a clean person, as it were, might go around after that messy person tidying up. 
and it might be a you know perfect relationship in that respect. But if the person that you live with is not a clean person, and you as a disabled person wants that to be clean and it's important for your mental well-being, well, where's the argument that it should be half the cost? You know, as I said, any disability-related expenditure is subjective based on your own individual circumstances. Anything can be challenged through the local authority complaints process at the various stages. You must go through all the stages before going to the ombudsman. Right, thank you. Okay, so I have a couple of expenses that were previously allowed, which are interesting. The first one being gardening. They didn't allow the whole garden to be tidied. They allowed a strip in the garden from the door to the gate to allow my wheelchair to get out safely. Um, I think this is unfair, personally, uh, for a few reasons. One, it's another space in my property and I shouldn't have to justify why I want to go out into my garden and use it. Secondly, in my tenancy agreement, I'm actually obliged to maintain the garden, which is something I physically can't do. And I can't just tell my landlord, oh, I just will keep that strip, (laughs) you know, sorted, but the rest of it can do whatever. Um, so they and they also allowed a very specific amount of money for this gardening previously. They allowed three pounds forty six. How they've worked that out, I have no idea. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, a few things to say about that. Firstly, as you rightly point out, their policy is ludicrous and and potentially unlawful, because one of the things that um, local authorities must allow as part of your social care assessment is to allow you to be in habitable environment now arguably if you've got no means of getting the the gardening done either because it's not part of your social care assessment which interestingly it could be allowed in wales without without any issue then realistically your tenancy is at risk your mental health is certainly at risk because if the weeds are 10 foot high and you can't see out of the window you you're going to go crazy so yeah, it's a ludicrous policy and certainly £3.46 or, or whatever is allowed or disallowed is ludicrous. It, it should be an individual assessment. So they can't have, local authorities can't have a blanket policy on specific impairments or specific disability-related expenditure. They must look at things on an individual basis. Um, to give you an example, East Sussex County Council were asked about someone's disability-related expenditure and the complaint went all the way through the stages and eventually ended up with the ombudsman and the ombudsman ruled that the council were unfair in how it interpreted that policy and how it implemented the policy and therefore they were required to pay the disabled person a substantial amount of money by way of offsetting that DRE that they should have allowed in the first place. So it is worth challenging. I realise that when it comes to access to work assessments and benefit claims and social care assessments and NHS appointments and all the rest of it, disabled people are really quite fed up at having to challenge everything. But I'm afraid, unfortunately, if you don't challenge something, the local authority will say, well, you've accepted that charge and, and that's where we are. Yeah, I, I know. It just it gets so difficult. I, I was um, speaking to someone at my local council this week about some of the experiences I've had with social workers in the past and telling her those experiences, her 
answer to everything was, did you put in a complaint at the time? And my answer, unfortunately, was no, because I was so ground down at the time. Of course, I, I you know, I wish your things were different. I wish I'd done it and challenged it now. Mm. Um, it's just so difficult when you don't have that energy. But yeah, we, we have to fight back. And that's why they get away with these things if we don't. This is why disabled people need to get together and basically support each other. And, and the ILG forum and, and organization is a mechanism for doing that. I think, you know, shared experiences actually helps people to get through it because some people have been in the disability world for over 20 odd years. I used to have a hair when I started this and I certainly haven't got any anymore. And there, there are situations where some people have entered the disability world literally yesterday and they're scared and petrified as to how the whole thing works. We need to support each other. Absolutely. Yeah, that is the foundation of ILG communities and it's making other employers feel just less alone. That is the main goal. Obviously, we want to achieve a lot more than that, but that is so important. Yeah. And and I think that having somebody else have a look at your circumstances, whether that's a benefit claim or DRE or whatever it is, can often help because they can see it from another person's point of view. They're, they're looking from the outside in. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um. The next one I found interesting, um, and another expense that I was allowed previously, was around replacement of clothing. And another point, again, is they allowed me £3.46, which is the exact amount for gardening, which makes me think that's not a coincidence, that they're using a set figure. I might be wrong, might be completely wrong, but it's just such a specific amount. And if that was uh, you know, £3.46 a month, I think it is, it might be a week, but I think it's a month, that comes to about £41 a year. And I don't know if anyone's tried to buy clothing <laughs> recently, especially if you fit into any of the other categories of being tall, overweight, short, or needing to use a wheelchair and therefore having specific needs. You can't get much for, for £41, I can tell you that. So in relation to those costs or, or indeed anything else, as part of my challenge to the local authority by way of a formal complaint and do it. Um, using the words formal complaint so that the local authority are aware that they have to treat it as part of their formal complaints procedure rather than a service user just having a grumble or seeing what they can be allowed. In terms of that charge and what's allowed and what's not, again, you're quite within your rights to say, was the local authority changed its policy on this? Where was its public consultation when it did so? A local authority, if it's going to change policy to the detriment of a disabled person or a group of disabled people, they need need to show the impact or possible impact of that change of policy. The most famous one was not allowing uh, social care assessments during COVID. Um, obviously, the COVID inquiry uh, at the point uh, recording is going on at the moment, and that's going to you know rumble on for about three or four years. But again, disabled people were... Um, marginalised and there was a report in, in Wales called the Lockdown Report where it showed how disabled people were marginalised in that way because of the policies of the government at the time. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, the next question I had um, was around heating costs. Now, I am under the understanding there are sort of nationally set figures for heating what I wasn't sure was in someone like my situation where I live with someone, am I 
asking for the whole bill as a DRE or half. Because when I put in half, it's then below the figure. But a lot of that heating is, or that cost is due to me needing the heating on as part of my condition. Yes. I think there's a clear argument there that half of the expenses just isn't enough. Because certainly, you know, if a non-disabled person is within the household and they would be quite okay with the heating being on two or three degrees lower, then you can't argue that actually it's half the expense because it clearly isn't. You know, you, you would have to show that, you know, certain things need to be allowed over and above that rate. Also, the frustrating thing about council saying, in quotes, what we allow for heating is, is that doesn't allow for a disabled person who wants to be particularly frugal over their heating, but they may have really high other disability-related expenditure because it assumes that every disabled person is average. Well, we're not. And so similarly under that, because obviously electricity isn't just heating, I have a power wheelchair that needs charging, a CPAP machine. So are they all things I can state as under the electricity bill? Sort of? um, yes, and there's an issue as well around the maintenance and upkeep and replacement of those items because you can't suddenly have, uh, I'll say, £24,000 magic in, in your bank account with which to buy all those equipment in one go. It just can't be allowed. And therefore, if somebody is not um, able to work, then they need to be able to, I'll say, save to meet those costs because often the NHS will say, we don't provide that, whereas in another local authority, they, they might. And then, of course, those on benefits and those paying care charges, you're not allowed to save above a certain amount, so you're punished for needing to use expensive equipment like a wheelchair. Indeed, you're punished for saving whichever side of the Seven Bridge or the Prince of Wales Bridge you are is ludicrous. And that savings threshold hasn't changed in almost a decade or, or probably more. Um, and so actually what it's doing is pushing disabled people, even those that work, it's pushing disabled people into further and further poverty. When I bought my car seven years ago, it was £10,500. The same car now costs nearly £16,000 seven years later, and yet the threshold hasn't changed. Yeah. And it's interesting when you look at other countries and their thresholds, I believe a country close to us has a threshold of £50,000. That's an incredible difference from £6,000, isn't it? And just shows yes, the difference the governments are treating their citizens. Yes. And also, it's it's penalising those who are non-disabled in their earlier life. And they, they save, you know, so that they have a, a reasonable retirement or they can they can help their children or families out or whatever. And then through no fault of their own, they might become a disabled person and suddenly they have to pay for all of their care costs. In Wales, we have a ceiling of £100 a week. So the, the maximum charge that somebody can be, be charged, regardless of their level of savings, is £100. So if you're a billionaire, you'll pay £100 and... If you're a disabled person with a little bit of savings, maybe £25,000, you'll also pay £100. So that's not fair either. Whereas in England, the threshold at the time of uh, this podcast is 23250 And 
if you're over that that amount, you've got to pay for the whole of your care costs, regardless of how high they may be. Yeah, I have a situation, a friend of mine inherited some money, and I'm not talking life-changing amounts of money. It was about £25,000 from memory. And she had to declare all that and stop receiving direct payments until that money had dropped down to the threshold. And, you know, had it been more, she'd have just had to waste all that money. And and I know there has to be a limit somewhere. But, you know, when her relative was saving that money to pass on to her beloved child, grandchild, whoever it was, they weren't thinking, oh, she's just going to have to burn it away for no reason. They were thinking, you know, that's really going to help her in life. And it just seems, just doesn't seem right to me. Indeed. I have a potential double whammy in that my, my father saved uh, a great deal of his pension in order that in later life I could be supported because he was aware that I may not be able to work in later life depending on my health and actually because he has developed dementia then he has to pay for the full cost of his care and um, they're also forcing him to sell his property and then if the unthinkable happens and I were to inherit something then the local authority would penalise me and then penalise me towards the end of my life as well for the same reason. So at every turn, disabled people are forced into poverty and you're not actually encouraged to save. No. Well, you're, you're not just encouraged, you're punished for saving. Yeah, indeed. Right. One, one other question I had about my um, DRE was about nails, toenails, in fact. Nice one. I can't do my own nails as in whether that's you know cut them shorter or whatever I looked into the price of a shopadist or a podiatrist or and that kind of thing and I found the price was about the same to have someone that could sort them out but also paint them at the same time now putting painting your toenails down as an expense obviously feels like some people are going to raise their eyebrows however to me it seemed you know you're getting two for one there the color and the fact that they're sorting them what do you think of that as an an argument? Absolutely. Um, I, th- I I think there's a perfect argument there. And I'm sure, Jade, if you're painting your to- toenails or fingernails or whatever, you're going to feel better about yourself because, you know, you know you're looking after your, your mental well-being. It's psychologically looking good and feeling good, especially if you're a disabled person and you're experiencing pain and, and, and difficulty. Anything uh, that can help that mood lift just that bit is very, very important. I completely agree. Just have so many people that, and um, even other other disabled people I've spoken about thought it was a terrible idea. But yeah, I mean, to me, my my nails are a big, big deal. As you've just said, they they really do give me a lift. So, but on top of that, it's the practical upkeep as well. And also about your your well being in terms of making sure that your nails don't deteriorate and then. Uh, develop into some other health issue yes exactly yeah um okay so the list of things that i've got so far for me then so potentially toenails osteopath appointment cleaning gardening rent clothing and i'm going to argue for an increase in the clothing cost because clearly all costs have increased including clothing the other one is fresh wipes. I don't know if you've ever used those before. Um, a bit of a advert for them, but I think they're so fantastic. 
they're a great way if you struggle to shower or want to brush if you google them it's run by a lady i believe with a disability herself so i'm putting those down and then my wheelchair so i had to contribute around two thousand pounds to my power chair over and above I, i don't qualify for an nhs wheelchair i'm in one of those areas that have a policy if you can walk a single step you can suffer <laughs> that's how I feel about the policy anyway um and so I had to get charitable funding for that and that was the bit I couldn't cover how does it work when it's a one-off cost like that okay again as a general point any disability related expenditure regardless whether it's allowed or disallowed in the policy can be challenged okay so anything you incur as a disabled person that you otherwise wouldn't incur, that's fine. I'm not saying for a moment that because you were a disabled person, you need to have Ferrari to drive round in or whatever. What, what I am saying is, as a disabled person, if you have a power chair that you need to replace or you might need a wheelchair accessible vehicle, those costs are way, way higher than somebody with a, a small hatchback, for example. So if you're living alone, then it's quite reasonable that, you know, most people will have a car. So it's all subjective. Of course, the local authority are going to argue, oh, no, we're not going to provide that. But because it's subjective, anything can be challenged. So if you say, right, okay, I drive my car 10,000 miles a year, arguably that car would last, say, seven years eight years maybe but if if like me because of my job and and family living all over the country i do seventeen thousand months a year and therefore my disability related expenditure would be far far higher in that regard because i'd need to replace the car a lot sooner similarly um back in april of this year i had to go up to the wheelchair manufacturers and and stay overnight in a well-known hotel brand in order to get both my uh, wheelchairs serviced and repaired because it's not something the NHS will do. No, that's something I need to. I've just literally got a quote for a service for my wheelchair of about £125. So again, that's something that needs to go down on wheelchair insurance and all that kind of thing. Yep. So as as we were saying earlier, any disability-related expenditure can be challenged. I mean, the local authority might say, well, this is our policy. It doesn't mean it's lawful. That's very true. On a list somewhere, I saw quite an interesting one, which was internet delivery charges for food companies, Justy and so on. And when I first saw it, I sort of laughed. And then I actually thought, that makes so much sense, actually. You know, when my PA, you know, if there's a time they haven't arrived for lunch or if I'm left on my own for a period of time and... The first thing I do is go and just eat to cover a meal or, or equivalent. What do you think of that kind of thing? Absolutely. Certainly many local authorities are going down the route of saying, you know, we don't provide any shopping calls. We don't provide any cleaning calls, etc. These are disability related expenditure costs. You know, you can't have one and, and not have the other. It's It's ludicrous for a local authority to turn around and say, we won't provide a PA to do your shopping, but by the same token, we won't allow the £4 delivery charge or £7 delivery charge, whatever it might be, as a disability-related expenditure. 
And of course, it's always worth knowing that the um, argument that the supermarket will come and deliver your food is absolute nonsense because we all know they only leave it at the door anyway. Who's going to put it away, make sure it's safe, put all the um, sell-by dates in the right order, etc., etc. Your supermarket won't do that. And in terms of time efficiency, paying that £4 is still a lot less than probably an hour and a half of your PA's time to go drive there, get it, try and find everything and so on. It may well be, but then for some people who are, uh, I'll say, bargain hunters, they may well want to go to the supermarket at half past eight at night and look at the yellow stickers and get the reduced food because at the end of the day, they might be on a limited budget, as lots of disabled people are, and every penny may, may well count. So, oh, absolutely. Not meaning to take choice away from anyone, I mean, no. as, as a choice, definitely, yeah. Right, is there anything else you would like to say about my expenses, generally about DRE? You know, from just this conversation about what should be allowed for disability-related expenditure and what shouldn't, anything that comes back, remember some some important points. You must get a full breakdown of how the local authority has arrived at certain disability-related costs. So if you think that they haven't allowed enough for a particular category or whatever, ask them. Ask them how they've reached that cost. Because at the end of the day, a local authority can have whatever policy it wants with it within charging as long as it um, complies with the law. So there's two bits of the legislation that I talked about earlier. The first is that no charge must be a disincentive to work. And the important bit, and I've left this till last for uh, obvious reasons, the local authority can only charge somebody what someone can reasonably and practicably afford. So regardless of what the policy says and regardless of what your DRE total or um, charge comes out at, it can be challenged if you can demonstrate that you can't afford that charge. Now, in demonstrating it, you might have to send credit card statements off and, and all that kind of thing must be intrusive. And it, it's quite wrong that they, they ask that. But the reality is, when I moved back to Wales, I renovated my bungalow um, myself with the help of a builder, experienced very, very high disability-related costs because at the time the local authority wouldn't support me in adapting my bungalow because I was working and therefore I was able to demonstrate that because I was in a substantial amount of I'll say credit card debt in order to renovate the the bungalow I was then able to demonstrate that I should not be charged towards the cost of my care. That's fantastic. I just want to say thank you so much for all your your time but also all your knowledge and expertise that has been so helpful it's definitely helped me and given me so much, you know, I now know what to put down and hopefully it will help other people out there listening as well. So thank you so much. No problem at all. Thanks, Jade. Thank you.